All right, well, I already gave it away. We're in Hebrews 11, so if you're not there already, turn there with me. Did Ren forget where y'all were sitting? <laughs> All right. So last week, we looked at the, the faith of Enoch. And this week, we're looking at the faith of Noah. And we're going through Hebrews chapter 11 very slowly, taking our time, getting to know each of these people that are listed here, who the author uh, hopes to show his audience as examples of faithfulness, what it looks like to endure to the end, as he's told them that they should. He wants them to, to be able to stay on track, and he's telling them, isn't he? You know, if you're going to stay on track, you have to stay focused on Christ. He is our Redeemer. And if you remember uh, these Jews, um, they, they were formerly Jews who have responded to the glorious message of the gospel. They, uh, they are now believing in uh, Christ, and they've become Christians. They're gathering together, as we are this morning, on the Lord's Day for worship on the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, and they're worshiping him, and they're serving him with their lives, proclaiming publicly that Jesus is Lord. But it's been hard. They're a little worse for the wear. Turns out battling remaining sin in themselves and out there in the world and their culture, it's, it's hard. It's exhausting. And that might sound familiar to us. Christianity is no cakewalk, is it? When we first place our faith in Christ, we know that we are justified in His sight. At the moment we place our faith and our trust and our confidence in Him, we are justified in His sight. We know that we are accepted as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and His atoning death for sinners. But then there's that sanctification thing. And that's hard, isn't it? That's where we're made more and more holy and heart and conduct. That's where uh, we're made more and more into the image of God through Christ, we're made more and more like Jesus. And that's a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It takes time. It takes trials. It takes testing of our faith. It takes even getting along with people that might be hard to get along with too. That's a sanctifying thing. Not just people outside the church, people inside the church too. It takes being content in all circumstances and not always being so self-focused. Not always asking what's in it for me all the time, but also at the same time being reminded there's actually a lot in it for you. You just have to wait. It will be worth it. Have faith, keep faith, it will be worth it. And they're bumping, in, they're bumping up against their weakness and inability and all of that, and keeping all of those things in mind, and what that actually looks like day in and day out as Christians who are professing Christ. And don't we all, right? Aren't we all wired uh, to, to do the things we know we ought to do as faithful Christians uh, on our own, in and of ourselves? But here's what happens when we do that. We run out to the end of our tether. We find out we have limitations, we have severe limitations. We are not able in ourselves to live up to what is required of us as Christians. And if we stay there, right? If we stay there, if we forget that Christ has promised us, he will be with us even to the end of the age, that he will never leave or forsake us, 
that he has indeed sent a helper, sent his Holy Spirit who preserves us to the end, then we begin to think that we've failed at this Christianity thing and we go looking for something else. Might try something different. Welcome to the thought life of the people Hebrews is written to. There's nothing new under the sun. They know what you're going through. If that's you this morning, if, if you're thinking along some of those same, same lines, growing uh, discontent and disenchanted with, with church life and what all that means, if you're feeling worn out in your walk with Christ personally, if you're feeling defeated and losing hope, they know. They know what that's like. And here's what the author does. He points them back in history to people who can relate to them and says, if you knew what they know now and knew by faith then when they were in it, just like you are now, you would know it is worth it. Just as the author points them back to the past, I'm pointing you back to the past this morning. If you knew what they know now, you would know it is worth it. You would keep going. What you know by faith now, they know by sight now. They, they're already where you want to go. They're, they're there. Their witness gives testimony that despite appearances and rough circumstances, Jesus always is better. He is always better. So have faith in him, keep faith in him, and know that it will be worth it. That's the message that keeps coming up over and over as we go through this. So now we're reading about Noah this morning. That's the next person from history that the author points to specifically and puts forward as an example of faith. So let's look now in Hebrews chapter 11, reading just verse 7 there. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Lord God, as I preach this morning, Lord, I pray that you would prevent me from error, that all that would be remembered here this morning is what is needed. God, I pray that you would increase our faith, transform us by the renewal of our minds. I pray that Christ would be high and lifted up, demonstrated clearly from your word, and that the Holy Spirit would apply the word preached directly to the hearts of all of us here in just the way that we need, and only you know. We trust in you for encouragement, Lord, where there needs to be encouragement. This morning we know a bruised reed you will not break and a dimly burning wick you will not extinguish. We trust in you for, for the conviction of sin. So, Lord, that may we all be willing to be laid bare before you. Examine us and see if there's any wicked way in us. And grant us repentance where there needs to be repentance. Help us to see Christ in all of his beauty and splendor and majesty and to be renewed and refreshed in our faith in him this morning. God, help us to be certain that his righteousness is ours by faith and to know the benefits of our redemption. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now before we get into Noah, uh, I want to show you something. Noah was Enoch's great-grandson. We talked about Enoch last week. Enoch had a son named Methuselah. Methuselah had a son named Lamech who had a son named Noah. 
Um, said before, you can read genealogies in the Bible and think it's kind of dry, kind of boring, but a lot, there's, there can be some gold hidden in them, their minds. Okay? Remember what we learned about Enoch. He was taken up into heaven. Can we say that? Everyone was dying. Everyone around him was dropping dead. Andy died, Andy died, Andy died, Andy died. But not Enoch. God just took him. And we know Enoch uh, preached. We looked at the book of Jude where we saw that Enoch preached against his wicked generation and warned them about God's judgment, didn't we? We saw in Genesis 5 that he walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. What do you know about Methuselah? Lived longer than any other person in the Bible, right? Oldest man, 969 years old. He holds the record. And you know what his name means? When he dies, it will come. We're not going to uh, do all the, the math this morning, okay? But if you trace all the years of all these folks that lived, you'll see that when Methuselah died, the judgment they were warned about indeed did come. The flood came the year Methuselah died. And that's not just a nifty little piece of trivia, okay? What that means is time was up. God had been patient. God had been so patient. Let a man live longer than any other had before or since. He was allowing time. And time for what, right? Time for repentance. And faith, deliverance, God and his grace and mercy towards those he made in his own image, although they rebelled against him, was patient with them. And he held off his judgment long enough for Noah to continue prophetically warning his generation the way that his great-grandfather Enoch had, right? And allowing time for him to build the ark that would save the world. God was patient and we know that his family alone was delivered in order to repopulate the earth. Now, I want you to, re I want you to consider something here about the flood account. We, we know God told Noah that he was going to wipe out everything. He was going to destroy everything and everyone, and that his family would be spared. But I don't think we're thinking about it correctly if we assume that no one else could have boarded the ark. I don't think Noah was supposed to assume that no other human being besides him and his family were going to make it on the ark. In fact, I think his preaching against the wickedness of his generation and the promise of judgment coming entailed an invitation to leave the sinful world behind and to place their trust and their faith and their hope in Christ alone. To trust in the way of salvation for them, accepting the way of escape God provided for them, the ark. The problem is, no one did refused it, rejected it. They probably scrambled around trying to board the ark once the flood came, but then it was too late. We read that the door was shut. Before we go any farther, I do want to qualify that because I realize if we read Genesis 6, 18, uh, we see God says he's going to destroy everyone and everything, but that his covenant would be with Noah and that he and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives with them would be on the ark. He didn't say anyone else would be. But that doesn't mean they couldn't be or that Noah shouldn't be inviting people to be spared with him. Now, here's, here's why, okay? When we see prophecies in the Old Testament, they are very often conditioned. There's an implied if 
an implied if. For example, God told uh, Jonah to, to preach to Nineveh that in 40 days, Nineveh would, Nineveh would be destroyed, right? Did he? Did he destroy Nineveh? No. Why? They repented. And God spared them. So that either means God was fibbing, he was bluffing about destroying Nineveh, which he does not and cannot do, or the promise of destroying Nineveh was a warning that was given in order to bring about a change of heart to draw people to himself. You know, if one of my sons is getting out of line, and you see his heart is not right within him, right? And it's beginning to show in his behavior. He's putting himself outside of fellowship with the family. I might say, I will spank you. And if, he, and if that changes, if his heart changes, and, and he, he, he desires to be back in fellowship with the family, I'm not going to spank him, am I? No, because there's been that change of heart. But was I kidding? No. That was not an empty threat. It's, a, it's sort of the same thing here. Now, the flood was coming either way, right? But was there a way of escape? Was there a way to escape the flood? Wasn't there time allowed for people to accept it? Before the flood waters rose, hadn't there been an opportunity to trust there is a God in heaven who still speaks to his people, who is angry with sin, but stands ready to forgive and deliver all those who turn to him in faith? Yes. And that is the same gospel I preach to you today. That there is forgiveness for sinners. There's trouble for sinners who don't forsake their sin. But to, to all who are willing to leave the world behind and place their trust and their hope and their confidence in him, in him alone, for the forgiveness of their sins, he stands ready to forgive and to accept them. There is forgiveness and reconciliation with God. I bet Noah was disappointed that that good news was rejected and scorned by everyone except for his family, don't you? I mean, you don't think he didn't know some of the names of the people that were scratching and clawing at the ark once it was too late? Bobbing in the water, waiting for their death. People crying out, save me, now I believe. But that's not faith. That kind of belief is not faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We saw that when we were in verse 1. That's the kind of faith it takes to be saved. And that's the kind of faith Noah had. We've said so far in the series that faith refuses to follow the world. It follows Christ even when it doesn't appear to make sense. And faith endures suffering and persecution. That's the kind of faith Noah had. And we're going to bounce around a little bit here this morning as we look at Noah uh, and, and his faith. And again, faith is what he's being commended for here in Hebrews 11. It's why the author bothers bringing his name up to give as an example of the kind of faith he wants for them to have. They need a faith in this time. They need a faith that refuses to follow the world, that follows Christ, even when it doesn't appear to make sense, and a faith that endures suffering and persecution. And that faith begins with how we respond to the revealed will of God. 
That's the focus or the main idea of the sermon this morning. The kind of faith we're to have is evidenced by how we respond to the revealed Word of God. How did Noah respond? Let's look back at Genesis chapter 6. You can turn there with me. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some and summarize some just for the sake of time. But if we look back there at verse 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. And then it gives a, a little introduction to Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And did we hear that same thing about Enoch? Enoch walked with God. And I would just pause there for a moment as, as we set out into this. There's a message there again for you parents. Just like we saw with Cain and with Abel, and how they evidently received instruction from their parents about who God is, what he had promised, and uh, that he is worthy of worship and how to worship him, we see a pattern continuing. Faithful families are powerful. Be encouraged to keep doing what you're doing. All the small things aren't so small after all. We see a, a trend. We see a pattern in this family, a model, an imperfect model. But God is faithful, and it is effective, and it's for a purpose. While the world was walking away from God, we see a family that was walking with God, don't we? In verse 10, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, so here we go, okay? God speaks, he reveals his will to Noah. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now here come some instructions, okay? God has said, here's what I'm going to do. And now he says, here's what I want you to do. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, verse 14. And then he gives them very specific instructions on how to make it. When God gives us a command, he gives us the ability to obey that command, doesn't he? He's always given us everything that we, that we need, that we require. He gives them every specification in detail of how to build this ark that he has told them to build. And that's important because people didn't know how to build ships at this time. I mean, the, the knowledge of engineering it, that it would take to construct the ark didn't even come come about until the 1800s. We were talking like a, a few hundred years ago, a couple hundred years ago. Noah's relying on divine knowledge here from the one who engineered the earth itself for the specifications necessary to engineer something that would withstand the deluge he's going to send. Noah has faith. He's trusting God knows what he's talking about here, even though he can't really conceive of how it's all going to work. He's going forward with it. Why? Because God said it. That was reason enough. You know, you think, you think back how we got into this mess in the first place, y'all, right? Okay? It all began with, has God really said? Didn't the fall occur as a result of man questioning God's word? But here we have Noah, by faith, he responds to God's 
revealed will for him by faith. God said it. Will we follow him and trust in him even when we can't make sense of it? Will we take a step of faith and obedience even when we don't know how many more steps there will be? Don't we do that? You're like, yeah, I'll go as long as you tell me like how it all ends. How many turns are there along the way? Who's old enough to remember MapQuest and all those things before you had ways? Yeah, you know, it was like you're, we were pirates on the, on the uncharted seas. <laughs> One time my wife and I were going someplace and she, she's laughing now because she knows I'm about to tell on her. She threw the instructions, the map, the map right out the window and we weren't even halfway where we were going yet. She didn't throw them and they kind of got sucked out, but still it was a funny way to go back and get them. But you know, you want to know how many turns, like how long am I on this road before I have to take a turn? Can I settle in here, right? Can I like hit cruise control for a little while on this one? Or am I going to have to be alert and knowing that there's a turn coming up? Guess what? You have to be alert all the time. You don't know where the next turn is. You don't know how many pit stops there will be along the way. You don't know what's going to fall apart and that you're going to have to put back together, that you're going to have to trust and rely on God to fix in your life in order to get to the end. That's the way that it works. Our faith is evidenced by how we respond to God's revealed will for us, even when we can't see the end before we begin. All right, so now look how Noah responds to this revealed will of God in verse 22. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. God warns him about what's coming and tells him what he must do to be saved. Is it so different today? Has God not revealed his will to us clearly in his word? He has said what he is going to do and what he wants us to do in response. There is judgment awaiting the unrighteous and ungodly. Repent and believe in Christ, the only way of deliverance. The ark we have to run into and take refuge in. Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is our rock that we run into and take refuge in. And if you do that, you will be spared. God will protect you. You will make it. You will endure to the end. And when the waters that wash away sin subside, you will inhabit a recreated earth. Let's see what happened when Noah did. When he stepped out of the ark onto an unrecognizable and newly uh, re-beginning earth. In chapter 8, verse 15. It says there, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. So he tells them, everybody out. Everybody out. You, all the animals, everybody come on out. Come out into the sun and on the earth again. And what's the first thing Noah does? Verse 20. Look there with me. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Noah's response to his salvation, to the grace of God in his life, was worship. He reestablished worship on the earth. First thing he did. Worship that offered to God a sacrifice and a substitute for him and his family. Recognizing he deserved every bit of what everybody else got, but he got something else instead. 
God's favor and His grace and His mercy. And then look, verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A new beginning with the same mission. The same mission God gave the first man, Adam. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I think as I was making my coffee this morning before I left, Noah made the joke, my son Noah, made the joke that we're talking about his faith this morning, right? As we're talking about Noah's faith. And he said, no, we're not talking about my faith. But, you know, it, I'm like a descendant of Noah. I said, there's nobody living today who's not. Do you realize that this morning? There's nobody living today who's not. To say that Noah saved the world is not an overstatement. Now, yes, God did it. I know. But don't, don't discard the way in which he did. He did it through Noah's faith. That's, that's faith in action, faith that counts, something God does through the faith of his people. When everyone was running away from God, Noah believed, believed against all odds and when it didn't make sense. And I'm sure he was probably laughed at and mocked the whole time he was building an ark on dry ground, would have been persecuted, but he did it anyway because God's word was enough. By faith, going back to our verse this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. All right, now, so putting all this together where the rubber meets the road for us, okay? God hasn't told us to build an ark, but he has told us to believe in his son so that we, like Noah, can be saved from the wrath of God to come. And so that we, like Noah, can warn others there is a God who sees from heaven all the unrighteousness on the earth, who is angry with sin every day and will hold everyone accountable for their sin. Judgment is coming, and the wicked will be washed away. Only the righteous will remain. Who are the righteous? Only and all of those who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. All of those who have called on the name of the Lord. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe, Proverbs 18.10 says. And we heard this morning too in Isaiah 55.6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Same warning. Same promise. There's nothing new under the sun. 
And no matter where anyone lives in the world, no matter what they grew up believing, no matter how young or old they are, it's, it's always looking like rain. And there's only one place we can take shelter, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can protect us. And he doesn't make the stormy wrath of God go away. He, he, he doesn't change the weather. He, he doesn't just make the God's wrath just disappear and not count anymore he, or stop it from happening. He took the wrath of God upon himself that was due for sinners. Took it so that there's none left for those who have placed their trust in him. That trust and that security belongs to you, Christian. And we respond by worshiping him, don't we? We respond by, by trust and obedience, faith that is evident because of how we respond to his revealed will to us, to his word. Wasn't that Noah's response? Wasn't his response obedience and, and, and worship and praise? Right? Don't, don't we do the same? Don't we lift our eyes heavenward, our eyes and our hands heavenward and say, Lord, you are my shield. You are the rock of my salvation. I am yours. What would you have me do? Trust and obey. That's the answer. That's what Noah did. That's what his faith looked like. His faith was evidenced by his response to God's revealed will. And we say, well, what's it look like, though? Just tell me what to do. What do I do? How can I improve in this area? What can I begin to put into practice and, like, actually make this happen for me? Don't we do that? Don't we ask those kinds of questions? I don't think they're bad questions to ask. It's stuff we want to know. But again, let's take a look at Noah for an example, like the author says we should. And let's accept it as our example and not ask for something better. Let's take the example we're given and have it be enough for us. For God's revealed will, his word, to be enough for us. If we're paying attention, what we need aren't methods. It's faith. Faith that's evidenced by how we respond to God's revealed will. And all the things we think are small things. With every stick gathered and every log sawed, Noah was walking with God. Every blow of his hammer was a declaration that Christ is Lord. Every splinter and sore muscle was an exercise of his faith in God. Faith that his words were true, that his judgment was sure, that his deliverance was promised, and that Noah's own faithfulness and obedience was worth it. Even if no one else thought so. Noah had faith God could be trusted, and it showed. By it, he condemned the ancient world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Our verse this morning. God is doing things beyond your comprehension. He's always doing that. That's always true. It's true this morning. It's true in this season of your life. 
whether it's a season of your life where you feel like things are picking up, things are beginning to get hectic, or if it's a season of your life where things are starting to kind of quiet down a little bit. He is always doing things beyond our comprehension. He's always doing things that cannot be explained or comprehended that simply don't seem to make sense, and he does them through faith in him. Being faithful in those small things that may seem insignificant in your life, but that you just keep doing them anyway because you know that's God's will for you, at least for now. And you're content in that. You're practicing contentment in that, that he's doing something with it, trusting him. So here's what that means. Wiping runny noses and dirty bottoms is faith in action. You need to hear that this morning, don't you, Leo? Kelly, right behind her. Amanda, right behind her. Now, my wife does. Wiping those runny noses, wiping those dirty bottoms, that is faith in action. God's doing something in that. You don't feel like you're building an ark that's going to count or save the world, but let me tell you, he's doing something with that. Working your way through a mountain of laundry is faith in action. Putting food on the table for your family through your hard work, Russell, is faith in action. Being honest in all of your business dealings, being wise with your finances, being faithful to your employer and in your marriages is faith and action. These are things that God has given you, that he has revealed his will to you for your salvation and what your what life is to be about. But we're talking about that, what the life is to be about thing for a minute. He has told us what is good and what he requires to act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God, as Noah did. That's the kind of faith he had, and it was evidenced by how he responded to God's will for him. So I'll close with this. You might not be building an ark, but recognize you are building something. By being faithful with what God has given you, you're building something and God is going to use everything you offer to him by faith in his son to do something great with it, something you can't even begin to comprehend right now. And you might not be entirely aware of what it is, you know, or what difference it's going to make, but God does. You need to trust that God does. He knows what he's doing. And lastly, you might not be building an ark for the salvation of the world, but you know where the ark is. You know Jesus is the way of salvation, that he is the place of refuge where sinners can come and be reconciled to God. So run into him, take refuge in him, and invite others to do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, as we've looked at the life of Noah this morning, we see you are patient and long-suffering. We thank you that, that while you are angry with the wicked every day, you allow time and give a warning. We pray that this very day, people all over the world would hear that warning and run for cover in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor do we see you are merciful and forgive all those who turn to you in repentance and faith. You have said they will be my people and I will be their God. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith and help us to do all that we do, whether we eat or drink or work or play or buy or sell or build by faith, 
and for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.